and welcome to the Royals Rundown Podcast, the Kansas City Royals podcast in association with Inside the Royals. I am Jake Milham, and I have Lucas Murphy joining me once again, plus a special guest. But first, Lucas, how are you doing tonight? And I'm doing fantastic. It's uh it's a little windy here in Kansas City, a little bit above average. We're supposed to be getting some severe storms. So it's that time of the year. So I'm I'm doing pretty good, but Man, I, I got to tell you, I'm super excited for our guest tonight. So I'm just going to skip my little intro and <laughs> jump right into to our introduction. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we have the pleasure of having Rustin Dodd onto our podcast. Uh, Rustin obviously is a writer at The Athletic, um, but his connection to Kansas City runs probably a little bit deeper than that. He's from Kansas City, obviously, but he wrote for the Kansas City Star for so many years uh, covering the Royals. Uh, Russ, and we, we really do appreciate you coming on. Yeah, no problem. Thank you for having me. And I'm, I'm glad to be here. Thank you for the nice introduction. <laughs> for sure. For sure. Uh, I got to jump right in though. I got, I'm going to, I'm going to hit you both with a question. Oh boy. Um, I've been excited to, to ask you this. So I'm going to just jump right in. Um, if you could take actually Russ, I'm going to direct this to you first. Yes. So in, in your time, in your time when you cover the Royals, if you could take one of the players from your time and insert them into the Kansas City Royals of today, whether it be their prime or you knew that they had the best season of their career and insert them into this lineup, who are you going to do that? I mean, I guess without thinking about it too much, my my first answer is just Lorenzo Cain. Okay. Uh, I, I always thought that, you know, I, I primarily covered the Royals from like, I guess, you know, I did, I technically was an intern at MLB.com, believe it or not, in 2009 when, oh, wow. um, when Zach Rinke had a Cy Young season. So, I mean, like, I guess that's like sort of a different player. I mean, that's like maybe one of the best Royal seasons ever, you know, so like 2009 Zach Rinke, but I, I don't, I was kind of a, you know, an idiot college kid who didn't really know what he was doing at the time. And <laughs> I, I don't even really think about myself as like a reporter then. Um, so I, I'm not going to include that, but, uh, but that one also comes to mind, but like, I always thought that there was this, this idea, you know, that the 2000, you know, let's say 13 to 2017 Royals were like this group of really, really good players where they had, you know, enough talent and enough, you know, guys that were just like slightly above average to like three or four win players. If you're looking at war or whatever. And if you put them all together, they, they were able to kind of overachieve and, and go to the world series twice. And that was basically true. But I, I always thought that kind of undersold how good Lorenzo Cain was particularly in 2015. And he had a great year in 2014 too, but like, he's not, I always put it like this, like Lorenzo Cain's not a hall of fame player. He's not close to a hall of fame player. Right. If you just like look at his career statistics, yeah. but like for those three or four years, he performed at like a hall of fame level, right? Like if Lorenzo Cain has his prime where he performs that way for like five or six years and then is able to play for like 15 years, he's like a borderline hall of fame player. Of course he, he played, he came up so late and, and debuted when he was like 24, 25. And then, uh, then, you know, he had all those injuries early in his career and then really didn't really come on until like 2014. 2015 and then had some solid years and he's going to have a great career. He's not even going to be close to a hall of famer, but like the level that he was playing at in 2015, I always think was kind of underrated in terms of how important he was. So I, I think like, and honestly, he would probably fit this Royals team this year, like perfectly. Cause that a little bit of a hole in center field. Um, 
so yeah, like if, if you could put him on this team, I think, uh, that would be the guy you would want. And I was actually, I was talking to a friend, uh, earlier this week and I, I, you know, Lorenzo Cain's going to be a free agent in the off season. Uh, so, you know, it, this is not going to happen. This is like five to 10% chance that the Royals will be in, you know, contention or whatever. But it's like, if you were looking for help at the deadline and like the brewers are out of it, it's like, Oh, there's your guy, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah. But um, it, it'll, it'll likely be that the brewers are actually in contention and the Royals are not. So that's, that's probably not going to happen. But I, I did, I was thinking about that because I saw he was a free agent um, after this season. And he's, he's talked, I think openly about possibly retiring after this year, but um but he would be a guy that like, if you were, if the Brewers are out of it, he'd be a guy that I think any team would like to have at the deadline. For sure. For sure. Hey, who are you going with Jacob? I mean, look, I, Lucas, you already, you already know who I'm going to go with. I do. This. I do. Number 30, man. Yep. Number 30, you're Donald Ventura through and through. Um, I would, you know, especially with the performance of this uh, 2018 draft class so far, <laughs> I would still love, uh, you know, I, I really wish your was, you know, still with us. Um, both as a person and as a Kansas City Royal, but you know that's that's got to be my pick. Rustin, did did you have any interaction with Jordano Ventura? Like, what was he like? Yeah, I mean, I I got to cover him for you know every day for the 2016 season, and then yeah. uh, covered those playoff runs uh, kind of as a secondary reporter. So I was around that those teams quite a bit. Um, but yeah, I, I think the thing about Jordano was he just was kind of electric. You know, it's just like was, was incredibly fun to watch. And this is, I guess, kind of underscores the tragedy of him, but also it's, it's kind of a sobering thing. I, I was actually thinking about this the week that some of the Royals young pitchers are essentially, you know, the same age as your Ventura was his last season with the Royals, you know? Yeah. So he was able to come up at a young age and probably people didn't appreciate how young he was when he started and was really good in 2015. 14. And then even in 2015, 2016, I mean, he was just getting going. So, mm -hmm. you know, you'd love to, would have, like you would have loved to see what he would have could have been like in the, in those sort of prime years in his late twenties. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's just, I, I think people know what a tragedy that was for so many reasons, but I think it's hard to think about just the, the, the baseball side of things too, with, with what he could have been. I yeah, mean, I think yeah. plugging him into this rotation and, you know, the, the growth that he probably would have had from, you know, those times to now. And, uh, man, it would, he would have been an incredible asset to have. And I mean, he truly would have been that ace, I believe for this staff. And that, that would have been incredible. That would have been incredible. So, but, uh, Russ, I do have to ask you because obviously you, you did cover the Royals, um, you know, in depthly, what, what were your greatest moments, I guess, from the writing aspect? Like, what did you enjoy the most? I know you had a lot of engagements with like Ned and, uh, you know, asking questions and, and writing up. What, what would you say was your favorite moment uh, through that stretch? Well, I mean, I guess the, the 2014 um, postseason, just because it was so surprising and, and it, it felt so exciting to be covering something that you thought you might never see uh just the Royals in the postseason and the way they went on that run and obviously the wild card game was uh you know one of the best sporting events I've ever been to um and then on into 2015 I mean there's nothing really 
kind of like covering a postseason. And I, I also think that there's nothing like, even from a fan perspective of, of watching a baseball postseason, um, like even, you know, even a, a run in like the NFL playoffs or, you know, even like, a, you know, the NCAA tournament, that's incredible to watch too. But there's something about the, the number of games packed into a month, the way those series kind of like, swing on like these little moments and uh and there's so many games and you know three series in like a couple of weeks and people are hanging out together every night and you're you know you're at the ballpark and the weather's getting cooler like uh, there's something kind of magical about those months um mm-hmm. but i i also think just from like a pure journalistic like standpoint the one thing i always really enjoyed about covering baseball and this is more this is more broad, I guess, than anything specific, but, um, you know, when, when you're covering like sports, what you really want to do is you want to feel like what you're writing is essentially true, right? Like, or it's, it's accurate. It's true. Like you're like, you're not just putting stuff out there. That's just kind of like, you know, maybe a little bit true or kind of off base or like whether it's, you know, about how good a player is or like about a team or like, you know, like there's all sorts of things you like, you want to feel like what you're putting out in the world is, is giving people an accurate depiction of, of what's going on. And the one thing I, I kind of enjoy about covering baseball, especially when you cover it sort of at the beat level is if you really put in the time, you get enough time with the guys and you get, you get to spend enough time around these guys where you really do feel like you get, you know, like you get an accurate, um, like interpretation of what's happening. Like you, you feel like you actually kind of know, you can't know everything, but like more so than other sports, right? There's a lot of sports where you go in there, there's a press conference. Maybe you talk to a player for three or four minutes. You ask a few questions. The, the answers are not that clear. Um, but, and then you have to go write a story about it and it's like, okay, well, you know, I have my little angle that I'm writing, but like, I'm not a hundred percent sure that this is, this is a great angle or this is a great story to be writing. Whereas in baseball, you know, you, you, you're around the team every day for like 30, 45 minutes, you know, you get time to pull guys to side. You can have like real actual conversations back and forth where, you know, you're kind of getting at something and they can kind of explain what's going on. And I, you know, I don't know if I'm explaining this very well, but it's just that, that feeling of, of actually being close to something and seeing how everything works and being able to kind of write those stories, you get a lot more of that in baseball than you do in other sports. Um, and so that was kind of just enjoyable is just, you know, being on the road with teams and traveling around and watching all the games and feeling like you're getting closer to the truth than you do, uh, when you cover a lot of other things. For sure. For sure. Yeah. I, I completely understand what you're saying. And that kind of leads me to this next piece because um, I, I think this maybe may not have been as prevalent back when you were covering, I could be completely wrong, but I don't remember like social media being as explosive as it probably is now versus maybe back when, you know, the Royals were really, really doing extremely well. I could be wrong, but do you feel that like social media has kind of aided in that coverage in a way now that we're kind of advancing where Twitter is almost just a huge resource to people. Um, you know, a lot less people really kind of read the hard, hard paper. And uh, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I think what's changed. Um, and even, I mean, Twitter was a thing in, in yeah. 2015, you know, and, and 
in, in 2016, 2017, even when I was covering the team, um, you know, I think what's changed a little bit is how active the players are on Twitter. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, and they were, they were like in 2015 or like, you know, six, seven years ago, they were as well, but like, it was a little bit different. Like if you were a, you know, a 24 year old major league player, let's say like, you know, Twitter was invented when you were like, you know, 10 years old, you know, like, (laughs) like you, like that's a world that you just grew up in and like sort of understand and are like totally a part of in a Mm -hmm. way that's different than if you're, you know, 30 or 35 and you, you know, as you were coming into the big leagues, it was like just sort of exploding and uh, you were sort of like, Oh, what's this thing? I guess I should be on it. And, um, and so I, I do think that's changed things in some ways. I, I don't know exactly know how, but I, I just do. I think it's interesting that nowadays the generation of players coming up are just like creatures of the internet in, in a way that like, you know, <laughs> people, uh, people weren't maybe back like Alex Gordon. Right. I mean, it's like he debuted in 2007. Alex Gordon's like, what is he? He's like 37 years old or something. Like when he was growing up, like the internet was kind of around and it was, but like social media wasn't a thing until like mm-hmm. he was essentially like an adult. Um, mm-hmm. it's just, it's just different, I think. And I don't, I, again, I don't really know. I don't have a great point about that, but I just, I kind of find that interesting. Um, and yeah, it's, I think it's, I always tried to, uh, I think one thing that happens when you, when you cover a team and you try not to, is like, you try not to think about Twitter being like the real world in the sense of like what people are talking about or like, how people are reacting to stuff and like not just right for, for the Twitter audience, because there's so many more people out there that aren't like following this stuff, you know, 24 seven, like the hardcore fans are. Mm -hmm. Um, So you try to do that, but it it sometimes can be, um, can be difficult. I I see what I see happen a lot of times with reporters is like uh, they, what happens a lot of times I feel like is they're not even necessarily trying to be like homers or like, they're not even trying to like, you know, be overly positive about, uh, you know, the team they're covering or whatever, but what they, the instinct they have is they're like bombarded with, you know, like emotional fans who are worked up about their team, like 24 seven. And unlike people who are very, very reactionary, uh, mm-hmm. about everything that happens to like around every single game. And that's like, that's how sports fans are. But like, yeah. I feel a lot of times because reporters are on Twitter and they experience that, uh, so much that their their natural instinct is to, to like be contrarian about that. So mm-hmm. like, so what happens, I, I don't know if I'm explaining this very well, but I, I do feel like a lot of times reporters are like, trying to explain what the team is thinking or what the team is doing in a way that like they're actually responding to fans on Twitter who are, who are super worked up. And uh, it's just an interesting dynamic that I've, I've I've noticed that's kind of come around since, uh, since Twitter has been a thing. I, I, I see, I see that perspective because, you know, you, there's often times where you'll, you might agree with said writer and be like, Hey, I agree with your point or whatever. And you may not necessarily get a response, but then you see, Joe Smo over here exploding because Daniel Lynch is just giving up nukes and like, can't figure it out. <laughs> yeah. And so yeah. then the writer is going to respond to him and be like, Hey, look, like, you know, here's the perspective of what you, yeah, I completely understand that for sure. And the other, this is interesting. I see your 
KU blanket in, in the background. So it's making me think about this. You know, before I covered the Royals, one of the things that I, I covered was um, KU basketball. And mm-hmm. I, this has nothing to do with Twitter, although I guess a little bit to do with Twitter, just in the sense that like you're experiencing how the fans are thinking about their team. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was like when I covered KU basketball, I always felt like I was looking to point out what was wrong with the team. Mm-hmm. And, and, and mostly because they were like one of the best teams in the country. So like the interesting thing would be like, okay, but what is wrong with this team? Right. Like what, you know, like how are you know, like, what are their flaws? Because obviously they're good, but like, what are people not thinking about? And so, you know, you were often felt like you were writing kind of like not negative stories, but just trying to like get at things that people weren't thinking about. Whereas yeah. when I was, when I was covering the Royals in, you know, 2016, 2017, uh, they weren't having great years in those years. They finished right around 500. So I'm sure people would, would like those kind of seasons back, but at the time they weren't, you know, they were, they were underachieving teams essentially. Right. And so, um, what I felt like I was doing a lot of times was pointing out like, no, 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 actually they're not as bad as you think. Like, you know, (laughs) like, like, but no, like, and I was pointing out a lot of the good stuff. So it's like, it's funny when you, when you cover a bad team, a lot of times you end up writing more positive stories than when you cover a good team, you actually end up writing a lot of negative stuff. And it's, it's kind of a a funny dynamic that happens. Um, But I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know that. I think that's probably natural. I mean, I think, you know, and I think sometimes, you know, it's better to actually be writing the the more kind of negative stuff, I I guess, if you think about it as negative or at least pointing out the the reality of what's going on, because, um, you know, I I think it, it does. I don't think reporters and beat people or whatever have that much power. I, I don't actually think that, but like, I've spent a lot of time around, um, you know, New York media in the last few years. And, um, it's not as like drastic of a change as you might think or different. A lot of people like to think like East coast media is so much harder on, on players or whatever. And I don't know if that's as true as people say, but there is an element of just like an expectation of, you know, the teams here are going to be good. And if they're not, people are going to point it out. And I, I do think that sometimes is missing in some, uh, some of the smaller markets. Okay. Jacob. Yeah. So, uh, I'll just go point out Rustin is a guy after my own heart. I am all for uh, pointing out the flaws in any KU sport. It's got to, got to make that note. He's a um, K-State guy, Rustin. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, it's a flaw. But, uh, so Rustin, first off, when, when Lucas said, we're going to have you on, I, your name clicked a bell with me and I couldn't quite place it. Um, I really liked your piece about Gil Hodges. I believe it was late last year um, when you wrote that. But uh, my question for you, Rustin, how was it transitioning from being a primarily a beat writer to a feature writer for the athletic? Um, Yeah. I mean, it's, it was, it's, it's good. It's they're different jobs. Um, The, uh, and this is like, I feel like I'm, it's almost like a therapy session or whatever, but, uh, <laughs> but the only, I mean, like they're, they're, they're not that different, but it's just, um, when you're doing the day-to-day stuff, uh, you, you're really kind of in the grind and you're thinking about, you know, and it, it's, it's a grind, but it's like, like, it's a grind, like any job it's you, you, you go to work, you produce something every day, or do you do something every day? And then like, it's on to the next day and you, and you don't really think about the day before. Um, and that, you know, is challenging 
but it's also can be a little bit like if you're the kind of person who likes to work that way, it's actually kind of nice, right? Like it's like every day it's its own thing. You, you, you knock it out and then you're on to the next day. And, uh, and sometimes when you're just like writing a little bit less, um, you know, stories take more time. You're making more phone calls. You're doing like more reporting. You're trying to make, make it better. Like it, you know, you, it might take two or three or four days to write something as opposed to like, you know, two hours. And so, but overall it's, it's all kind of the same thing. And, and it's, uh, it's been really good. It's, it's just like a different kind of job, but it's also just nice not being at a sporting event every, every single night and weekend, um, which, (laughs) which is like, it's like, you know, covering major league baseball is like maybe, you know, the best job I've ever had, but it's also not the best job for trying to have any sort of normal, uh, any sort of normal life. So, uh, not like being away from it and, uh, you know, being able to hop on a podcast at like 8am or 8pm or whatever is also kind (laughs) of nice. (laughs) Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Um, my, my other question for you is, so, uh, there's, a big group of people we're, we're about five years removed from it now um, who may not know who Therese is, um, who Therese Paler is, excuse me. Um, did you have any interaction with him really? And if you did, like how, how was he as a person? No, Therese and I were, uh, I, I can't say we were like great, great friends or anything, but we had a, a pretty good bond because um, Therese is a few years older. Therese, obviously the old, Kansas city star chiefs writer and, yeah. uh, went on to Yahoo and one of the you know best football writers in the country. But when I graduated from college in 2009, I started working for the star sort of part-time for about a year and then, uh, moved on and covered high schools for a year or so. And at the time, Therese was also a high school writer. And, um, and so we were kind of in that, like he was a few years older than me. So he was a little bit, uh, you know, uh, already in the kind of the system, I guess you would say, or whatever the pipeline or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, but we were just also kind of in that sort of like, you know, you, you know, kind of prove it part of your career. Or like, I guess I should more, more, more to the point, Therese used to like, used to say like dues paying kind of point in your career where you're like really paying your dues. And, uh, so, you know, and, and Therese like paid more dues than like anybody, um, you know, he obviously covered the Chiefs for many years and then got a great job at Yahoo, but man, he covered, um, you know, high school sports for years. He covered the Kansas city brigade, uh, football and arena league football team. He covered sporting Kansas city for many years. He covered, uh, then on Mizzou, but like, you know, there were times in like 2010 or 11 where Therese and I were both covering high schools or maybe it's more like 2012, right around, around then where, you know, I'd be writing about high schools and he would be writing about high schools, but he'd also be writing about sporting Kansas city. And we'd also go out to like the Royals game, uh, and sit in the press box and like write notebooks when they were at home. Uh, you know, just cause you kind of wanted to be involved in that too, uh, when you were kind of a younger writer. And anyways, um, you know, this is just a, like a roundabout way of saying like Trez was just, you know, one of like the hardest workers I've ever been around, but also just one of like the just most enjoyable people to like chat with. Um, like I get, I think people saw this later on, like his personality on his podcast or whatever, but like Trez was like really funny. Um, 
like if you're like the kind of person who likes to talk about like old movies from like the nineties or, you know, like, uh, you know, funny, like weird, obscure references, um, you know, like Therese liked all that stuff. Um, like he was, he was really funny. We used to, I I'm trying to think of some specific ones we used to talk about, but like, you know, like if you're like talking about like Die Hard or something or, uh, you know, other funny movies from the nineties or other things that I, we would kind of bond over. It'd be kind of funny because he was a few years older than me and he grew up in Detroit. Uh, but it was, so it was always kind of funny to think about the, this, the movies like we'd both seen from like, you know, the early nineties or whatever. And he'd, he'd be like surprised I'd seen something or I'd surprised that he would know something, you know, about something. And, you know, like those kind of things, just like when you're kind of getting to know somebody. Uh, so no, man, Therese was, was great. And, um, I, uh, yeah, I, particularly think a lot about him during football season, but just how much like he loved football and, uh, was, you know, just like amazing, you know, talking about the, uh, the chiefs and everything, just, yeah, just a great guy. Outstanding. Outstanding. Well, I, you know what, I'm sorry, sorry to kind of make it a little, little somber in the podcast, but <laughs> I have no transition and I'm going to completely go to the other end of the spectrum. Um, have you both heard about this new sandwich at Kaufman? The barbecue one, Rustin. Have you? I haven't. Please tell me. It is a pulled pork sandwich. You know, pretty basic with a uh, sweet baby rays on top, bacon, and then Reese's peanut butter cups. And I do not know how to feel about it, Lucas. Like, how? I mean, are, would you actually go out and buy that? Would you actually eat that? So, quick, quick quick story so i'm a big fan of and this is going to be sound crazy but i actually like putting peanut butter on my cheeseburgers at times um and so i i don't know if i would necessarily be 100 against it um i know a good friend of mine that uh actually just posted that picture about kyle isbell on my twitter but yeah he tried it while he was out there and he and he blogged about it and he said it really wasn't that bad. It's not as it, I think it's just the idea, the concept that is almost kind of disgusting, but he said, <laughs> when you actually try it and eat it, it's really not that terrible. So um, it, to me, I think it's just one of those things that you almost have to probably try it before you can, you know, discredit it. That's, that's yeah. Really, but the textures, man, the textures, <laughs> it's just a Reese's cup, man. People put it in ice cream all the time. <sighs> so to me, so that, that strikes me as one of those food combinations where it sounds disgusting and you try it and it's actually not, mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean it's good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like I, and maybe people would disagree with this one, but like when I was a kid and I think it's a, still a thing, right? Like, but like when people would go to Wendy's, right. And they would get uh, frosties, like frosty malts or like, I guess they just call them frosties and people would dip their fries in in the frosty. Like, I think that's a pretty common thing that people do. And I always remember just like thinking like, okay, like I've done that before and it's not gross, but like, I'm not sure it's good. (laughs) 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 Like, I I don't know. So it's like, it's, I don't know. I, I feel like I file it under that where it's like, just because it's not as gross as it may sound. I'm not sure. I like, I still don't know if I need a Reese's peanut butter cup or whatever on my, on my barbecue. <laughs> All right, Lucas, that, that's my last question. I, I, I swear. I swear. <laughs> All back to you. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Uh, Russ. And honestly, my last question, there's so much more. I, I'm hoping we can have you on again at some point, but 
my, my last question is really kind of regarded around this curl uh, current, excuse me, Kansas city Royals team. And obviously we're seeing the, the call up of Bobby Witt jr. And how big that is. And uh, people are honestly calling him junior and they're talking about, you know, what he could potentially be as in Mike Trout or King Griffey jr. And all this different stuff. Just really, what are your thoughts on Bobby Witt jr. And, you know, did you ever think you would see something like this in Kansas city? Really a kind of, again, I guess you could say with the Hosmer, the Moustakis kind of era, but I mean, Bobby Witt juniors, that guy. So what, what are your thoughts on, on junior, I guess you could say. Yeah. I mean, I guess I want to see more of him. Right. Yeah. Um, I, I want to put this in the right way because I, I do think that by all accounts, like if you talk to, and not that I've talked to a lot of people about Bobby Witt Jr., but if, if you just have, like, it's a pretty consensus thing that like he's in that level of prospect where it's like, you know, Juan Soto or Ronald Acuna or Fernando Tatis or Wander Franco, or like he's in that echelon of prospect. Um, and so where I'm just a little bit skeptical, it's like where, where I want to see more is, you know, the Royals have had maybe not guys at his level, but like mm-hmm. when Eric Cosmer came up, he was a consensus, you know, top five, top 10 prospect where you thought he might be, um, you know, kind of basically maybe what Freddie Freeman has been or, um, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, um, you know, of that level. Um, and then he's, he's had a great career, um, but probably didn't reach the highs that some people might've thought, you know, he would have reached, although he won a world series. And I think if you roll back his career, like play back his career, like a hundred times, he's, he's, you know, he's been a great, great player, but my point is he's, he's obviously not like going to be a fringe hall of fame player. I think, you know, he's not even close to that. Um, and Mike Moustak is probably close or similar. Right. And maybe he wasn't the, the caliber of prospect that Haas was maybe, but he was close. He was a top five pick. And even Alex Gordon, right? I mean, Alex Gordon had maybe one of the best careers in Royals history. He may have a statue outside the stadium uh, at some point and, you know, was never like a truly like, you know, consensus MVP candidates year after year after year, right? So, you know, I just think that people are expecting so much of Bobby Witt Jr. that are like, man, it would be great if Kansas City could have a guy like that, but I just want to, I want to see more before like I'm, I'm ready to put him there because, you know, there's a, there's, there's like a, you know, there's a chance that like, he's, I'm trying to think of a good comparison for, you know, a a player like, uh, you know, like maybe he's Carlos Correa, you know, and, or I don't know if he's Carlos Correa, that's probably fine. I mean, Carlos Correa, but I'm trying to think of just like, you know, somebody just a little bit below that. That's like an Evan Longoria. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I mean, I think, I think if you, if he is that, then you can't, I mean, like, you just can't like wish for any more, but right now I think people are like, okay, he's going to be, you know, a first ballot hall of famer, or he's going to be like, you know, Mike Trout, but in the infield. Um, and, um, so yeah, I, 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 I just want to see a little bit more, uh, before. And I, I don't know if I feel like super, you know, I've, I've until four days ago, I'd never seen this guy like actually play a baseball game <laughs> on television, you know? So, yeah. but I, I, I'm excited to just watch him play for, for the next few months and, and see where he is. Cause 
the, the tools are there and, you know, he didn't hit very well, like the first weekend, but he still made two or three plays that like could help you win a game. And I think that's, if nothing else, that's, that's a pretty good sign. For sure. sure. Yeah. I mean, it's the, the excitement is in Kansas city for sure. I mean, we're seeing Bobby Wade junior stuff everywhere. And, uh, the hype is obviously real just because, I mean, we don't get to go out and sign those just super big splash free agents. This is kind of that for us fans and, and you're, you're aware of that. So, uh, but Russ and man, I really, we appreciate you so much for coming on. Um, this means a ton to us, especially, you know, you being from here and, and everything. Um, again, I hope we can have you on and, and ask more questions and uh, maybe make it a little bit more fun as well. So uh, where can everybody find your writing at Rustin? Yeah. I mean, I'm, you can find me on Twitter at Rustin Dodd, uh, D-O-D-D, uh, and go to the athletic.com and you can find my page there. Uh, if you, you know, subscribe to the athletic, it's much more than just me. Obviously there's, you know, like I've, I feel like I don't even have to sell the athletic at this point, but in case, <laughs> in case anybody, in case anybody like, you know, hasn't, hasn't tried it out, um, man, there's so much like the value. I mean, again, I, I feel like I'm selling it now, but like, um, <laughs> the value I feel like is just really good because there's, there really is so much content and it, it just, it's the way of the world these days that most of the time, if you want to, you know, read about something or have some good content, you're going to have to pay a little bit of a subscription fee. And mm -hmm. I do feel like the athletic is, you know, with the, you know, like you get Ken Rosenthal and you get all like, and if any other sports you'd want to read about. And so it's a great combination of being able to kind of read about the two or three teams that you really want to follow, but then also kind of, you know, having so much other stuff at your disposal. So anyway, you can try it. If you, if you're not a subscriber, you can go to the athletic and check it out. Sure. Heck yeah. Heck yeah. Hey, when y'all, uh, when y'all start putting out a K state football content, I'll, I'll be a little happier Rustin. not going to lie. Well, yeah, that's, that's, that's a fair critique. Oh, I don't, I have no rebuttal, you know, <laughs> <laughs> that we'll, we'll, I'll see what I can do. No, 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 it's all good. But yeah, thank you again, Rustin for, for coming on. It, it really means a lot. We, we appreciate your time and I, I mirror what Lucas said. I hope we can have y'all yawn again and talk some more Royal specific stuff. No, definitely. Anytime. Just shoot me a DM or a text or whatever. And we'll, and we'll do it. All right. Sounds like a plan. Well, I, let's go ahead and wrap it up then. Lucas, where can folks find you on social media? Guys, head over to the Beat of KC. Uh, that's where you're going to find a lot of the engagements, a lot of the Royals writing, our podcasts, obviously, and then uh, all the KU stuff that I enjoy writing about over at Blue Wings Rising. So head over there. And uh, yeah, that's the main source of uh, Lucas Murphy. Heck yeah. Well, as far as the podcast goes, please leave us a like subscription or review on your respective platform. If you want to continue the conversation or support the podcast, please give us a follow on Twitter at Royal Rundown Pod. Um, again, I am Jacob Milham. You could follow me on Twitter at jmilthaham. It's a lot of Royals and a lot of Chiefs content right now. I'm getting the articles pumping out for Arrowhead Addict. So it is an exciting time to be a Kansas City sports fan. But for now, Rustin, thank you again. Thank you all for listening. And until next time, go Royals.